Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. I have a blueberry for a daughter. <laughs> okay, then. All right. So uh, today we're going to start off with a little listener mail. This listener mail comes from Alan, and Alan says, Chris and John, I love your podcast and have a suggestion for a future topic. You mentioned in your Rare Earth Metals show the exciting possible uses of carbon nanotubes. I've heard that space elevators could be achievable with this new high-strength weight material. Would you consider a space elevator podcast? Thanks a bunch. Well, we considered it, and we decided to do it anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, this is sort of the... Uh the area where stuff to blow your mind would normally cover. Yeah, but you know but, what? There's tech, so we're going to talk about it, darn it. And we beat them to it. Yeah, I, I think so. I haven't gone through their entire list of uh, of episodes. I don't know if they've done an episode about space elevators or not. But what is a space elevator, I hear you all ask? Well, it's pretty much what it sounds like. It's an elevator that goes into space. <laughs> yeah, um... Like many things uh, that we have talked about on this show, this was apparently originally conceived by a writer, Arthur C. Clarke. Gosh. Fountains of Paradise. The guy thought up a lot of stuff. He did. He did. Well, I mean, uh, maybe not a lot of the things we've talked about, but we did talk about uh, the geosynchronous orbit and right. using that for communications. That's something that, that he came up with for... for uh, for his writing, and in, in, in Fountains of Paradise, uh, engineers build a space elevator on an island called Taprobane. Uh, probably am mispronouncing that, but I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it's a uh, it, it's basically S- Sri Lanka, which is where he lived. Gotcha. Um, apparently, in many respects, I have I haven't read it, um, but uh, basically, he he in in the book, this island is on the equator, which is kind of important. Uh, as we'll get to in a, in a few minutes, but uh, the idea being that there is a something, a, a, I guess the top floor <laughs> in geosynchronous yeah. orbit, uh, which would allow the space elevator to to have a, a tethered cable at the other end, and the elevator could move on that cable up into space and back. Yeah, the the element that's in geosynchronous orbit is essentially a counterweight. Mm-hmm. It's uh, if you've ever if you've ever had like maybe uh, a yo-yo and you've done an around the world. Ah, uh, yes. That would be the kind of the the concept here. Um, the except of course that the the weight is not being um, held in place by the cable so much as the Earth's orbit or Earth's gravity rather. Uh, but it is in orbit around the Earth. That essentially means that it's constantly falling. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what, that's what an or- orbit tends to be. Um, but uh, you're falling in this circular pattern or elliptical pattern, and uh, the cable is uh, anchored somewhere on Earth. Uh, some plans I saw had it uh, uh, an anchor that would be on a um, uh, uh, something that would be a platform in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 
That's kind of an interesting idea because that gives you a little more mobility, and we'll talk about why that might be important in a little bit. Uh, some others I've seen where they'd suggested that the cable could be anchored to the top of a very tall building. Right. <clears throat> which is not quite as mobile. As it turns out, you aren't able to move tall buildings around easily. No. Uh, when tall move buildings move around, that's usually a bad thing. So uh, why would you even consider a space elevator in the first place? Well, that's a very good question. The point is not to uh, reach the top floor where the penthouse looks out into, uh, into the Crab, the crab Nebula. nebula. Yeah. I, that's funny. I was going to say the Crab Nebula. Um, no, I, I was reading an article uh, from NASA called uh, Audit. Audacious or audacious? I don't know. I've audacious. Heard yeah, okay. And outrageous space elevators uh, by Steve Price. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the one who explained to me that uh, this actually came from uh, Fountains of Paradise. But um, the idea would be that you could uh, transport people and things and possibly even electricity between uh, the Earth and space to, I guess, space stations or other objects in space that might... Um, you know, be useful for people to to use. Sure. Um, that was redundant. So, uh, yeah, the idea being that you could carry things out into space and back uh, without having to launch a rocket right. or, you know, spend spend the time and money and, and have to worry about weather openings and things like that. Um, I assume that having a giant cable reaching out into space would produce hazards of its own. But I'm sure. But it would be uh, a fairly um, affordable method of getting things out into space. Yeah, the uh that's the big point there is affordable. Both both of the fact that it's affordable and in general safer in the sense that whenever you have a launch there are a lot of risks involved. I mean, we all know this because we've unfortunately seen tragic results of launches gone awry. Sure. Uh so there's always an element of danger launching uh, anything into space. Mm-hmm. It takes an incredible amount of energy to launch anything off the the surface of the earth. So you want to be able to cut down that energy cost. You want to uh, reduce the risks. Um, According to our article on the site, we actually have how space elevators will work Mm -hmm. on HowStuffWorks.com. It was written by Kevin Bonser. And uh, according to to Kevin, the approximate uh, cost to put one pound of equipment or one pound of anything uh, into space using a a rocket-based method is ten thousand dollars? Ten thousand dollars per pound. That's more expensive than the really good cuts of beef at my butcher. <laughs> by by nice. a couple of factors, actually. Uh, the uh, by contrast, a uh, a space elevator could, in theory, deliver a uh, a payload of around uh, at around a hundred dollars to four hundred dollars per pound. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Significantly cheaper. Right. Um, yeah, the, the NASA article uh, actually quoted David Smitherman, who is uh, uh, Marshall's advance, of NASA and the Marshall Advanced Space Projects Office. Um, and he's actually looked into the possibility of, of uh, creating a space elevator. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that, uh, yeah, I, I saw um, uh, Kevin Bonser's article, but the uh, compared cost here, uh, according to Smitherman, what, Smitherman uh, would be... Um, Oh shoot! About two hundred and twenty-two dollars for a passenger with baggage at about one hundred and fifty kilograms. So that's you know two hundred and twenty-two dollars. Yeah, not bad. Compare that to the 
massive amounts of money you would have to pay to go up on a Russian rocket to visit the International Space Station. Yeah. As some, as a person I know actually did. Mm-hmm. Hello, Richard Garriott. <laughs> um, but the, uh, yeah, the, the, the article that we have on the site has some really interesting, uh, factors in there. You might wonder exactly how would this work? How would you get a machine to go up a cable all the way into space? Uh, well, the, the concept here is, is really fascinating to me. It's a, it's essentially a platform mm-hmm. or some sort of enclosure, depending upon what you're putting on there. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, attached to this cable. The cable itself is not necessarily really thick either, right? Because it's ba- it's it theoretically built out of carbon nanotube nanotubes. And I'll talk a little bit more about those in a second. Yeah. Um, but the the platform has these robotic climbers that can either climb up or climb down the cable once they are powered. Mm-hmm. And the way you get power to the elevator is that it has these photovoltaic cells. Oh, man, I can't talk today either. <laughs> it, we we recently changed our podcast recording time, and our mouths aren't, haven't caught up to the rest of us. But photovoltaic cells. So yes. those are the same kind of cells like uh, solar power cells, right? right. Mm-hmm. But these cells tend to be tuned to a different frequency of light than our, our solar power cells are. Mm-hmm. Um they're used. They, they're made out of different materials. Our solar cells are are made out of uh, silicon. These are made out of other materials that absorb different frequencies of light. Then you use lasers or lasers to direct the light onto the cells, which then the cells will convert the light into electricity, which then powers the robotic climbers. So all you have to do. <laughs> I'm making this sound simple. All you really have to do <laughs> is point your laser at the photovoltaic cell, and it does the rest. <laughs> now, granted, it's it's definitely not an all-you-have-to-do kind of thing. I, I dismiss that as being far too easy. But the idea here is that using light, essentially, you are providing power to this platform, which will then climb all the way up into space. Uh, and there have been some very... Variations on this idea where you might have multiple space elevators on the same cable and, uh, and they would kind of do sort of like a fireman brigade type thing where you would transfer the payload from one to the other. So you don't have one, um, one platform going the whole way mm-hmm. necessarily. Uh, and it's kind of a, it depends on which, which approach you read, uh, that, that'll tell you like how, how, High up the countermeasure is going to be, and how fast the platform will move. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the article on our site, uh, Kevin was talking about a company called Liftport that had suggested putting a platform that would be, or a counter counterweight that would be sixty two thousand miles above the surface of the Earth, mm-hmm. and it would move at a speed of the elevator would move at a speed of around one hundred eighteen miles per hour. So I did some math. Yeah. That uh, means that to to make the entire trip to go all the way up, not a round trip, a one way, mm-hmm. it would ca- take 525.4 hours of travel or around 22 days. That's a long time to listen to the girl from Ipanema. <laughs> yes, no and joke. I like that song. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> okay, that's all I can do before I get sued. Yes. But yeah, no, that is that no one should be forced to listen to Muzak for 22 days straight. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I got all choked up. up. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, uh, it's funny that that you pointed that out. I, I did want to make that point that this um, the article is is very uh, is really kind of centered on Liftport's uh, concept of doing this because um, the version that David Smitherman suggested mm-hmm. uses a little bit different. Um, technology. Now, he said there were five things that needed to happen in order to make space elevators possible. The first thing is you needed high-strength materials for the cables and the tower. Well, okay, the carbon nanotube should probably cover that, I would think. Uh, The second is, uh, you know, the the continued development of the tether technology, which I imagine is going on. I don't know that for a fact. Um, You also need lightweight and composite, lightweight composite structural materials, to be able to build the the towers and the buildings that necessary to make it work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fourth is high speed electromagnetic propulsion. Um, I'll get back to that in just a second. And then the fifth is uh, the development of the infrastructure needed to support the space construction. So um, the fourth is the one that really applies to the difference between this and, and spaceport because uh, his version basically uses magnetic. Propulsion, rather than touching the cable, necessarily you would be able to, uh, like a maglev train, it would basically, you know, move up the cable without actually touching the cable necessarily, rather than rather than climbing it. Hmm. Um, If I'm if I'm understanding it correctly, Uh, which is really kind of cool. I don't know how you would would have to be very cool. You'd have to have really low resistance in those cables, so that would mean you have to super cool them. Of course, once you got into space, space, it wouldn't be as big a problem. Yeah. But it's a neat idea. No, it's a fascinating idea. Um, I, I had not come across that in my research, so that is an uh, yeah. incredible idea. And the reason he suggests, uh, the reason it is impo- so important to have stations placed at the equator is the uh, likelihood of storms decreases at the equator. So you're less likely to have atmospheric interference with the space elevator traveling up and down the cable. Right. Um so I I found that completely fascinating because it's one of those things. I think the first time I actually came across the idea of a space elevator was in playing Civilization Two. Ah, so uh, yeah, I was going space elevator. What's that? How the heck is that even possible? Yeah, yeah, because you you sit there and you think about it, like how could you do that? How could you get you know how do you keep the tension on the the wire? Well, that's easy. The countermeasure does that for you because it's in orbit. Well, it should, yes. Uh, yeah. Until the, the Cylons take it If out. the countermeasure were to fall out of orbit, that would be a bad thing. Yes. Uh, Snap. And, yeah, exactly. If something were to happen to the cable, that would also be a bad thing. Uh, it wouldn't necessarily mean the countermeasure would fly off into space because, again, it's in orbit. Mm-hmm. But it would mean that you would, you know, you'd have a broken space elevator. You would have to find some way of either repairing or attaching a new cable. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about the cables for a little bit, uh, the carbon nanotubes in particular. Which I find fascinating, you know, just by themselves. Yeah, carbon nanotubes are kind of like the miracle uh, equipment of the future, right? I mean, it's like it's like that material that everyone's heard about. And uh, uh, no one's really like it's hard to explain exactly what it does or what it you know what what it kind of functions it may it may uh, fill in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, carbon nanotubes are made up of think of a, a sheet of carbon molecules and they are um, arranged in a hex, uh, like a pattern of hexagons. Yes. Okay. So if you've ever had any kind of uh, graph paper that was in hexagon form, I'm looking at you, all my war gamer friends out there. Um, I'm right here. Okay. I mean, the other ones. I've got more than just you. So anyway, the, if you think about it, you've got a sheet of hexagons all mm-hmm. connected together. 
and then you roll that sheet up into a tube. That's essentially a carbon nanotube. It's it takes this sheet of molecules, you roll it up, and depending on the the angle that you roll this sheet into, um, it has certain properties. Mm-hmm. So if you roll the carbon nanotubes or the carbon sheet rather one way, you're going to get certain properties out of this this carbon. If you roll it another way, you'll get totally different properties. Mm-hmm. And you might think, well, wow, that's insane that you would just just by changing the angle that changes the the properties of the material but then think about what all the stuff that carbon's in right right you look at the difference between graphite and diamond mm-hmm. one of the softest materials that we know about and one of the hardest materials we know about clearly carbon's got some flexibility uh figuratively speaking <laughs> so well, well it is it is considered as flexible as plastic that's that's the line that uh right kevin that kevin used, used. yeah and but it's, it's, and it's stronger than steel if you roll it the right way right and um from what i understand too the idea wouldn't necessarily be to take a single tube and run it into space they would actually braid these tubes together which seems like it would make it a more i would imagine you'd have like, to like rope yeah because you if you would, didn't do stronger. that if it were a single tube, I think it would be so thin that anything <laughs> right right you just slice right right in half if you came in contact with it um you know yeah, you're exactly right. it would have to be several all i mean when I say several, I'm talking like millions yeah all uh uh interwoven together, and that's one of the big problems we have right now is just the uh, finding the the methodology to create carbon nanotubes at a length sufficient to work in this kind of uh, uh in you know this kind of application right if we were able to do it now we'd already have lots and lots of things made out of carbon nanotubes yeah. so it's it's an ongoing process i mean you do find some products out there that have carbon nanotubes built mm-hmm. into them mm-hmm. like um uh, for instance there's a uh, sunblock really some sunblock has carbon nanotubes in it because uh of one of the properties of being able to um block harmful radiation. That's uh, one of the, the cool things. There, there's also clothing that has carbon nanotubes interwoven into it. Um, there was the idea that you would be able to eventually create a Spider-Man type suit out of carbon nanotubes because one of the, the uh, things you could do is make it so that it would adhere to surfaces so you could actually climb up the side of buildings just by wearing the right kind of suit. Hmm. It's pretty cool, huh? Except for my question was, how do you get your when you put your hand down and it adheres to the building? How, how do, do you, you get it yeah. pull off again? Right. If it's strong enough to hold you there, how do you pull? And apparently, it was all in the angle, at least in this uh, sort of concept that this one scientist had for it. Anyway, that's yeah. off track. I just I just had this image in my head of somebody you know successfully climbing a wall in the suit and somebody like can i have your autograph and it's like i want my pen back i'm yeah. sorry sorry that's that's it yeah done sorry you should that's you know i can't get into my house anymore my keys are stuck right here <laughs> yeah uh so anyway the carbon nanotubes play a big part in this yeah. because it's it's a material that has the potential to to withstand the the uh pressure the the, the tensile um strength it right. has the tensile strength necessary to to fulfill this. I mean, you're going to have platforms climbing up this taut cable and down this taut cable, you know, thousands of miles. It's got to be strong. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's obviously since that's the very, uh, very first thing, um, that, uh, Smitherman said, you know, you've got to have 
something strong enough to to work for this cable. Uh, no matter what type of propulsion the elevator is using to get up and down the cable, you've got to have something at, uh, as robust as something uh, or like uh, the carbon nanotubes. I am having so much trouble talking today. Yeah, I tell you. Sorry it's, about that. It's a, it's a Friday morning, folks. Give us yeah. a little break. So anyway, no, it's uh, it, it's really neat to see that they've they've gone this far. But um, you know, what about the possibility that there are going to be weather problems with it, or you know that the car, the cable's going to break while somebody is in space, I mean, or even, or they need repairs, simple repairs. Right there, there's also the issue of there's stuff in space. There are what lots of there's lots of stuff in space. As it, space, as it turns out, is big, really big. <laughs> um, the but there's lots of little things floating around in space uh, that could potentially cause damage to either the cable or more likely the actual elevator as it was traveling through space. Yes. So debris, um, you know, anything from, you know, uh, meteorites entering the atmosphere to, uh, you know, satellites, just mm-hmm. the fact that some sat- not all satellites are geospatial satellites, right? They're not right. all locked into the same spot. Right. In fact, most aren't, I, w- I think. So you get to a point where you have to figure out, well, what, what do we do in the case of there's a, you know, a, uh, an object that's on a collision course with the elevator. You have to be able to detect those things. You have to be able to adjust the speed of the climb or descent of the space elevator so it avoids them. Um, and with the the water-based anchor, you know, where you've got the, the bottom of the cable anchored to a, a, a platform that's on the ocean, you at least have the potential of moving that platform so that you can change the angle enough so that the elevator will uh, avoid whatever the object is. Because even a tiny object could do a, a massive amount of damage to the elevator. Because you think, if, if it's an object that's moving around essentially in the orbit of the Earth, it's moving at an incredible speed. Mm-hmm. So you have to plan these things out. You can't just say, alright, well now we've got the climbing technology, we've got the platform, we've got the cable, let's do this. you got to be able to protect what you've just built. Right. We can build it. We have the technology. Right. Well, and, and there were there were fears of terrestrial problems as well, not just weather, but... People who might want to sabotage the space elevator? Yeah. As it turns out, you know, when people come up with the, these brilliant ideas that are, um, that are potentially going to change the way we do something, uh, you know, massive, like moving things into space, uh, it means that we've invested a lot of money and time into that, right? Mm-hmm. And so what better way to strike at an enemy than to hit a spot that's going to, you know, that that was the result of billions of dollars of uh, investment and, and, and countless hours of time, um, you know, take sabotage that and then you've struck a huge blow. So especially if you have something like a, a platform floating out in the ocean, um, depending upon how big that platform is, you might not have that many personnel uh, assigned to it, so it becomes an attractive target. This is actually something that people have had to think about. I mean, yeah. it's you know, if you're a if you belong to a terrorist organization and you're looking at potential targets, then you want to look at high impact and you want to look at the high probability that your your attack's going to work. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's an unfortunate reality. So that's another one of those things that people have had to think about. Like, well, how would we protect this? And uh, I'm pretty certain that whichever nation comes up with this, or if even if it's a you know a, a group of nations that work together to create the first space elevator, I'm certain they will have incredible security measures around that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would imagine so. But I don't think we're likely to develop a, a working space elevator in the next, you know, short few years. Yeah. I think it's still going to be quite a ways down the road. Um, and it seems like the logistical things, th- there's a lot to work out. Um, sure. You know, it, it, it just seems, it's always seemed risky to me to have a, a cable running that far out into space and expecting it to stay where it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it just seems weird. Yeah, the aliens don't like that. The aliens. Yes, they don't. Uh, and, you know, I forgot about one of the other potential uses oh. for a space elevator. Okay. Uh, that I thought is actually really cool. One of the potential uses is actually launching uh, uh, vehicles from the space elevator into space because the idea here is that you don't need as much fuel uh, and you don't need as large a rocket in order to go into space once you're in uh, orbit because you don't have to escape uh, Earth's gravity from the surface, right? Right. So, so it means that we could cut down on the costs – of space travel and potentially use a space elevator as a launching site for missions into deeper space, like another trip to the moon or perhaps to Mars or mm-hmm. who knows. Yeah, it seems like as long as the elevator were capable of carrying that weight uh, through the, you know, up, up until it reaches the edge of uh, the gravitational pull, a significant gravitational pull, it seems like it would be able to do that. But I can't imagine. That'd have to be a pretty hefty elevator to carry something the size of, say, the space shuttle. Boy, that would it's be... going to carry that weight, carry that weight a long time. Oh, man. 150th floor. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. I can't let you out here, Dave. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, the, the space platform is just above hardware and uh, and tools and... Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a long, long wait. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because although we're calling it an elevator, obviously it would feel more like a uh, some other kind of vehicle. Tethered would, shuttle, maybe? Yeah, it, yeah, something like that. It would have to be if we were going to be traveling for multiple days. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> clearly it wouldn't be like, all right, did everyone go before they got in the elevator? Because this is important. It's going to be several days before we get to the top. Uh, so clearly it would be more like a, you know. It had it, to be bigger. Yeah, and it would have a, uh, you know, facilities, clearly, would have to. It had beds, things like that. Food. Yeah. Yeah, food would also probably be important. Uh, I would not want to go. I would not want to go between eight and 22 days without eating. Um, I don't like going a couple of hours without eating, to tell you the truth. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if there's a way to send smaller things up the cable at the same time the elevator is. Like, for example, uh, you know, you have the elevator going and you have a small uh, container of food, you know, for, say, a week, and you send it on up and it caught up to the space elevator and they could, you know, drop waste or trash or, you know. I suppose you could. The person freaking but, out but because he's in an enclosed space and freaks out an elevator. The longer you would, the longer you go on the trip, like the closer you get to the top, the yeah. longer it would take the supplemental material to get to you. Yes, it would. Um, I would imagine that, uh, but that would probably that would help prevent the need for carrying lot as much stuff. With yeah. Them. Anyway, well, I, mean, I don't if, know if the robotic climbers are are powerful enough. It's not really an issue because I mean we're that's the other thing is we're not really thinking of a uh, you know it's a space elevator is not the same as an elevator in that elevators usually use cables to right. to pull them up or mm-hmm. lower them down. Uh, whereas in this case, the space elevator is using robotic climbers that climb either physically or magnetically in, mm-hmm. in the case that you quoted 
the cable. So um, I imagine, I mean, these these climbers have to be incredibly powerful. Yeah. They have to be. I mean, they're otherwise you wouldn't, you know, nothing would go up the the cable. Well, if there are any uh, rocket scientists listening, you happen to have any insight on that. Yeah, uh, please I, let us know. I just know I don't want to step into a space elevator, see Otis on the door, and then, you know, seven days into it, it stops, <laughs> and then I'm just sitting there, essentially. You spent too much time on Marta equipment. Yeah. Well, did you see my tweet this morning? No. According to the sign, my next train was arriving in one thousand three hundred and seventy-four hour or minutes, rather. <laughs> I calculated that out. It means that I wouldn't be here till tomorrow. Well, it's a good thing that you are, so that we can do have this, this podcast. show. Yes, yeah. um, it was very lonely without you last week. Yeah. Okay. Well, I really don't have any else, anything else to add. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting approach. It's um, it, obviously it's an approach that yeah. comes with its own set of problems, not all of which are trivial. No, um, that's true. But if we can get it to work, it will mean that we could rapidly, at least comparatively speaking. Uh, ship things up to, say, the International Space Station yeah. or bring it back down. Um, it would mean that we could build out other space stations. Uh, we could launch deeper exploration uh, uh, missions, whether mm-hmm. they were robotic or human-manned. Um, human-manned? <laughs> well, wow. would, if, if you built enough of them, you could develop a significant uh, infrastructure in space to yeah. do all kinds of different things. Yeah, and, um, and eventually you could have a fantastic arcade game, Space Elevator Action. I'm not even going to touch that. Do, 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 All right, then. Hey, I love that game. All right, well, we're going to wrap up this discussion. <laughs> Clearly, we're a little loopy. But no, Space Elevators really are an interesting idea. Uh, I'm not sure we'll ever actually see one implemented. I hope so. Uh there's certainly a lot of people who are really, really smart who are working on this, who are really trying to make it work, uh, and I hope they're successful. The projections for when we might see it tend to be around the end of, uh, well, like around 2020, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. give or take a year or two, um, in either direction. So hopefully that will actually pan out. Yeah, you know, the thing that, that worries me more is not necessarily the technology but the logistics of actually making it happen. Yeah. That, oh. that actually seems to me to be the biggest problem. We didn't so. even talk about how they would get the cable there. Oh, that's right. We Essentially, didn't. the idea I saw was that you would launch a rocket up that would be carrying this cable on a spool, and at a certain altitude, it would start to unspool as it continued to go up into space. Yes. So you would have the cable unspooling while it was still in the Earth's atmosphere, mm-hmm. and uh, then the rocket would reach its destination and, and stop, essentially, um, and possibly become the counterweight. Uh, that's that's one uh, possibility is use the whatever vehicle you use to get the, the spool up there, use that as the counterweight to secure it in space. Uh, there have been other um, uh, suggestions that we'd use an asteroid, you know. Asteroid. Yeah, to to secure the cable to an asteroid in geosynchronous orbit. Uh, and then you would use an aircraft to capture the cable in the Earth's atmosphere and bring it back down to whatever you were going to secure it to. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of – that's crazy. I mean, it's – the the whole concept is both amazingly awesome and 
insane. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I could, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So anyway, if you have any amazingly awesome but insane things to say to us, can you drop the insane part and just make it amazingly awesome? Because the insane ones hurt my brain. But no, no, you can write us. Uh, you can actually contact us on Twitter or Facebook. Our handle at both of those is techstuffhsw. Or you can email us. That address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?